strategy, design, marketing, UX, digital, development. This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored by Together We Ship. On a mission to help agencies grow. All right, here we are. Rock on, Varun, my friend. What is up? How are you? What's new? Well, the weather is new, I think. You know, it's a beautiful day today. You know, I've been waiting for this for so long. I'm ready to That's go true. run just after our podcast, you know. That's so. nice. I feel like we should change the intro of our podcast to um, cover our, our, you know, our podcast daily weather report or something like that. I feel like we always talk about that. So I know. But anyways, are you ready for today's guest? Because I'm ready for today's guest. I'm looking forward to this chat. He is a member of the Boston Business Improvement Districts Board. His, uh, his company is one of the fastest growing companies in 2017. He is a Brett Gammon player. You heard me correctly, Brett Gammon. More on that later, I hope. Um, he's got a passion for music and he attends all kinds of music festivals and has a weekly column or a weekly newsletter called Better Spins. He's the founder and CEO of Knuckle Puck, Brett Snyder. Welcome to the podcast today, Brett. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are excited to have you because I think we even before we started recording today, we were having some fun chats. So I may I may loop back to that at some point in this. But let's start off with our myth busting question. So what sort of uh, what sort of myth would you like to bust? What sort of misconception, bogus strategy would you like to set the record straight on today? Yeah, so I really like this question, especially leading in because it, it kind of sets the tone for what I hope our conversation will be like today. And so I, I've thought a lot about this and I kind of like the idea of you don't have to honor your agreements. You know, I think a lot of people, especially in, in a startup world or running a company, we spend so much time putting agreements in place because we want to adhere to those agreements forever and forever. Um, but in my experience, circumstances change. You know, the things that you maybe you negotiated on at the beginning of your agreement maybe have changed. And so for me, in my personal experience, I started Knuckle Puck on my own. You know, I was doing freelance SEO consulting work, really just wanted to build a better mousetrap. Um, and I had the opportunity to bring on some investor partners. They took all of the financial liability came off of me. They helped bring in infrastructure, networking support, you know, really helped us accelerate the growth of the company. But to take on those investors, I gave up my majority share in the company. And so this was something I spent a lot of time thinking about at the time. You know, it's the same way I looked at whether I was going to study abroad in college. I ultimately didn't because I liked the community and what I had back on campus. And I knew I'd be sacrificing a potentially life-changing experience, but I made the assessment that I liked the life-changing experience that, that I had. And so when I looked at giving up my majority stake, I tried to figure if the company could be three times the size with these partners versus on my own, it makes sense you know, to oversimplify the math. So I took the deal. You know, and fast forward a couple of years, I was pouring my blood, sweat, and tears into the company. There was some friction as, as every company goes through, but ultimately I decided that my contributions to the company weren't adequately reflected in my equity share of the company. And so I went in, it took me about 14 months, but I went in and said, I want a new deal. I said, I cannot continue to invest my time, my talents, you know, all ego aside, 
you know, into this business if I don't feel that I have true ownership over my path. Um, and so I think that's one of those things that I've always tried to get people to really think about, especially if you're in a leadership position where you have to make the best decision given the circumstances that you have. And then as those circumstances change, you have to be willing to reassess your decisions. And I think we should normalize changing your mind, not just in the professional sphere, but in the personal one as well. You know, and I think when you go in there, that mindset that, oh, you know, yeah, I could have lost the business and I knew that going into it. So it's not without risk, you know, to go and renegotiate this. They could have said no, but I believed that my contribution to the business was the best way for us to all realize maximum ROI. And I doubled down on that. And ultimately I got back to the point where I own 80% of the company. I have the same partners that are still involved. We have a great relationship moving forward, but I needed to reassert my position and my ownership over the business for me to be able to continue to provide the leadership that it needs to grow and to maximize its potential. It goes back to the saying, I think I've said this many, many times in my life, every decision is the right decision when you make it. Not to say that it's the right decision for the future, but you can't plan for the future. You have to make the decision for what you have at the moment. So it's, um, I think there's, there's a, goes, it's, it's like when you're purchasing anything, it's always negotiable. I, this is total sidebar. I do a lot of antique shopping because I like weird things. And, you know, in, when you go, it's always negotiable. You always ask, they may say no, like you said, but it's always like, Hey, can you get this per bread price? Or is there any sort of discount? You know, can I get $5 off or whatever it might be? But it's, uh, it's, so tell us a little bit about, because I think your business model in terms of how you got started and what how you got to the point of being able to not own your business and now in a place of ownership back to that. Tell us a little bit about how you got started, because I think you have a unique story. I mean, everyone's got a unique story, but yours in particular yeah. is an interesting path. Yeah, um, I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm not so sure that my original story is as interesting, but I think the one thing that I've always, I do a lot of introspection, right? And I think most people who are, you know, risen to, to top positions have to look back and say, what did I do well? And what did I, what could I improve on next time? Um, but honestly, I, I was kind of an arrogant employee, you know, in a lot of ways. I, I worked at some, some agencies that taught me some really great things. First agency I worked at still is a, a partner of ours, still owner of that agency is still somebody I consider to be a, a, a chief mentor for me. I mean, I learned everything I needed to know about marketing when I started my career there. I also experienced some of the challenges that they faced as any company does when it starts to scale. You know, that company that gets to about 30 people, 30 to 40 people is, is where I start to see things that the business itself, the fundamentals of the business have to be able to level up for it to reach that next stage. Um, and that comes with a lot of pain sometimes, you know, and I think that's one of the things that I've really valued about my experience because I, I took full advantage of the opportunities that I had. I learned everything I could about SEO in my first agency. I tried to really appreciate what comes with these challenges of scale and what leadership has to do. I moved to Atlanta when my now wife got into law school down there and I took a more director level position. So I learned how to talk to C-suite. I learned how to sell the, the, the product. I learned how to communicate the value of the product. And so in that sense, I'm, I'm not sure how unique it is. You know, I learned the, I learned my trade and then I learned the management side of it. Um, but when I came back up, I, I really just, I felt there were things that were, that I, I would do differently. And that's why I, I try to say that I was an arrogant employee because I, I think that's fair. You know, I, I saw a lot of pieces that said, well, you're not doing it the way I would do it. I think I could do it better. Get out of my way and let me do it. 
You know, I, I had at times I had resentment for the people that I had to report to because I felt restrained. I didn't feel that I could solve problems that were so obvious to me. Uh, owning a business has certainly humbled me in that respect over, over many years and understanding that they were addressing the most urgent and important items that were on their plate. And I wasn't aware of all the other ones. And, and we all make our decisions based on different criteria. Um, but once we moved back up to the DC area, and I really wanted to, to give it a shot. You know, I saved 20 grand from freelance consulting work. I went, walked down the street to the Bank of America and opened my business account. And I said, this is gonna be my seed investment. You know, I wanna see if I can be able to continue. I had some freelance clients already, something I recommend anybody who's taking a bootstrapped approach in professional services. You know, the best way to pay your bills is through revenue. <laughs> you know, get clients up front, start to build a little bit of that to help you, you support it. Um, and then, as I mentioned, I had the opportunity to bring on some investor partners. Um, and this might be where I, I was a little bit atypical because I don't have a business background. I got a communication degree when I went to college. I got a business minor because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, you know, I figured that was at least looked good on a resume. Um, but I never really started Knucklepuck because I had a burning desire to run a business. You know, I, I started Knucklepuck to support my marketing habit. I wanted the opportunity to go out there and be able to do things the right way as far as as I saw it. Um, and so when I first got approached, these these folks were actually a client of mine, one of my freelance clients, and they approached me about the opportunity of getting involved in the business. They wanted to accelerate the growth for it. And so I flew down to Orlando and I still remember very vividly. So I was 26, I think, um, no real business background. I walk into this giant boardroom with 12 people on one side of the table. You know, I sat down on the other side of the table and they talked through all the things they want to do to get involved. They talked about kind of the cap table and investing schedule. And I actually had to stop the meeting and ask what a vesting schedule was because I didn't know. It wasn't something I was familiar with. It wasn't a path that I had pursued before. Um, but I always like to tell that story because I think it is part of, of really finding your feet is being willing to say, I don't understand. Being willing to ask the, the embarrassing question, you know, can you please explain this to me? And, Maybe that could have been done as a sidebar, but I would much rather ask it up in the room and, and take the you know, perceived consequences of that um, you know, naivete, if you will, than go through it and just have my eyes glaze over and not be able to engage with the conversation. And so that was one of the areas that I kind of first knew that, you know, all right, this is, this is something different. This is going to be a new, this is not a bootstrapped business where I'm going to go out there and do good freelance work because I want control. This was my understanding of these are people that believe in the vision that I have for it. It was me and one person you know, who actually now runs operations for me. So she's my right hand in that sense. Um, but it was just me and somebody very junior and they saw potential in it. And it forced me to kind of rethink my vision and, and try to document some things out and see what I would do if I didn't have to bootstrap my way through it. Yeah, so that, that's a, that's a great story. I, I I want to you know I I I heard a lot of emotions and learnings along the way, like you know from arrogance to humble to restrained, um, and I try to connect to your myth busting answer in the beginning, where agreements do not you need don't need to adhere to the agreements and they are always nego negotiable or you know can be you know uh, rewarded. How do you have any experience? So one experience you shared about how you got into the business uh, with, with, with that agreement, but 
when you work with the clients as agency owners, like when we work with them, we are you saying that these agreements that we do with the clients, are you, have you done that? Have you changed the agreements along the way? Have you changed? Because that is something that shows the commitment that you have done in the beginning. And then you are backing away from that commitment for some reasons. And we've all heard the term on, in, the, in the phrase, you know, change is the only thing that is constant. So I understand that the circumstances that have changed over time and evolved may ask you to revisit the agreement that has happened. But if you have had that experience with a customer, it would be interesting to hear if you have anything to share there. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that you can do with that. When I first started working, when I first started Knucklepug, actually, when I first brought on my partners, they got me set up with a management coach. And this coach really encouraged me early on to put together core values for the company. And I said, look, Carol, like, I've been sleeping like three hours a night. Like, I don't have time for this. I, I don't have time to sit and do this fairy tale exercise. I was very condescending about it. Um, but she really sat down and said, you need to do it. You need to figure out your values because these are the things you wouldn't compromise on for time or money. Um, and I thought that's a very, uh, that stuck with me for many, many years because I think it ties down to the way that you negotiate and the way that you either honor or adjust your contracts. Um, there's always an out, right? For both people. You can always fire your agency. You can always quit. You know, there may be consequences to that. You know, there are termination clauses in a lot of agreements that may cause you to have to pay some sort of consequence or bear some sort of consequence for it. But there's always an option, right? Nobody, nobody is here in a prison state that has to continue working for a client that abuses them or their team. Um, I have fired clients that have not treated my team with, and it hasn't been for many years, thankfully, but that haven't treated my team with the respect that I felt they needed because I knew if I allowed them to continue to speak to these people this way, then I'd lose my staff. And that's my product. And that's the most important thing for me. Uh, one of the things that I think is also really interesting, and it comes to this idea of leverage, where everybody is, is familiar with the concept of leverage. Everybody tries to accumulate leverage, I would argue. Um, but it's kind of like playing a video game and stashing a whole bunch of inventory and then getting to the final boss and not using any of it. And so if you're going to collect this leverage, you have to apply it. And so when clients come up on renewals, then don't renew your contract. You know, go and say, I need different terms. We're doing that with one of our clients right now. We've worked with them for a number of years. Like we have a good personal relationship with it, but there's been friction to the project. There's been frustration that needs to be addressed. And this client didn't want to sign more than a six month agreement. So when the six months is up, I'm not going to resign, you know, until I get terms for my team. And so sometimes it's not the, hey, I'm going in and clawing everything back and upending all the rules for it. But I think it's understanding that you have you don't have to continue to adhere to these pieces forever if the consequence to you is greater than the consequence of breaking the agreement. And so sometimes that's worked out for us. A lot of our clients here, we've been able to increase their rates. We have more favorable terms for us in terms of payment you know, uh, specifications. But we've also had other clients that I've come back to and said, one was a, a great, you know, actually a great friend of mine gave me my first internship in this field and stayed in touch for many years. And then he was running a, a really successful, he was running SEO for a really successful venture-backed startup in San Francisco. And we worked together for, for probably four or five years and blew them, blew them up. 
but we got to the end where I had to say like, Brian, I can't, I can't do this work at this cost anymore. Like I just, I, I can't deliver on it. I look at the numbers online and he looked at his and says, I can't pay that much for it. And we ended up ending the agreement and ended very amicably, you know, one where we transitioned everything over, but I had to come to him honestly, as, as an owner that has a fiduciary responsibility to my team to say, I can't continue to put this amount of resources into it, you know, with what we're charging you. And I knew that that was a consequence. So did he, you know, we talked through it. We found a way to, to give enough of a runway. We honored the old terms to give the runway to maintain the relationship, all things that, you know, we chose to do because we have an investment in each other's success. Um, and I think that's the, that's where leverage really comes into play where, you know, you just have to be willing and able to go out there and say, this is what I need for me and for my team. Um, and I think that's the big part about leadership and a CEO role in particular is that you've got to make that tough decision. You've got to tell your friend, I can't continue to support your, your business because I, it, I can't afford to, I can't afford to pay my people to do this work anymore. Um, and the good partners, the people who you still stay in touch with, which Brian and I continue to be very close, are the people who understand that and understand that they have to do right by their team as well. And, and that's where, you know, that really comes to play for us. A lot of them know too, you know, the majority of them that have good working relationships know this conversation is coming usually, you know, having been on both sides, I know. I know when I'm paying lower than market value, or I know when I'm getting things on the side and you know, it's coming and, and vice versa too. I, I feel like the, the, the good people anyways, if you don't know it's coming, then. And you gotta but, be willing to ask. That's a big thing in digital agencies yeah. over the last two years. It's like the, we're not immune to the labor crunch as, as everybody is. And, you know, inflation is for real. And so we have to find a way to be able to raise our rates. And a lot of people are uncomfortable raising their rates because what if my clients leave? You know, what happens then? It's like, well, what if they stay at these rates? How yeah. do you get people more? You know, it's it's very much a risk. You know, it's very much a risk that that could go in or you may be at the top of somebody's ability to, to compensate you for your work. But if that is below what, you know, you need to be able to sustain your business. You have to have that conversation. You know, the, the staff that is being underpaid as a result of the business being underpaid can't have that conversation. It has to come from the people in that position to, to apply the leverage that they have. In, in this, of, oh, go ahead. So, sorry, I was saying in this environment, um, how do you keep the team motivated? Like, how do you make sure that they are, always inspired and, you know, eager to work for you and the type of work you do for your clients. What's, what's the strategy there? Like, how do you keep them? Yeah, I think authenticity is a really underrated thing for businesses and, and leadership. And everybody's heard the saying that people don't leave bad companies, they leave bad managers, right? So we really try to make sure we have an understanding of what people need. I actually speak openly to my team on a pretty regular basis that I'm not an idiot. I recognize that you are talented people and I recognize that you have options. And so you choose to work here. And like, I get that. You choose every day to wake up and say, I want to work at Knucklepuck. I want to do my best for that. I could maybe make more money at a different role, but I choose to work here because of all the things that come from, you know, from what happens here. I think that we are very supportive of our team. You know, we try to listen to, to people in terms of understanding what they want to see out of their company. 
Um, you know, we're a fairly small company, but we have a 401k match. We have a quarterly culture bonus. We do paid parental leave. Um, we're looking to roll out student loan reimbursement this year. We had a headquarters in Arlington, Virginia, outside DC. Everybody went work from home during COVID and nobody wanted to come back. And for me, that was tough. You know, I, I'm a highly extroverted person. I think my value to my team is being able to have these organic kind of conversations with them, but it wasn't what our workforce demanded. It wasn't going to allow us to retain the caliber of people that we need to be able to sell my vision for what Knuckle Puck can do for you. You know, I can go out there and, and be a great salesperson, but at the end of the day, there has to be the implementation of that. The folks have to be able to make good on my word. And so we do a lot of those pieces. We try to talk to, you know, I, I try to talk openly about what we're doing. We try to solicit feedback as much as we can. Um, I do a strategic plan presentation on the first day we get back. So usually it's like January 2nd. You know, it's about an hour and a half. We have the whole company and I, I talk through what our strategic goals are gonna be for the year. Um, and I've been doing that for, for a long time, but it was about three or four years ago where I started doing quarterly check-ins. And so now we record the video or the presentation. So any person who joins in that year watches it. And then every quarter I put up our yearly goals and I say, I'm gonna give you an update on where we're at. Um, and being able to show, hey, have we made progress against these things that I told you were important? Um, if we haven't, how am I going to model accountability and step in front of the team and say, I recognize I haven't made the progress I need to? How do we change this? You know, and I think a lot of those pieces, and I'm really grateful we have, you know, from, from top to bottom, from our, our folks that come in in entry-level positions to my exec team, we've got a lot of people that are starting to take on more meaningful leadership and management roles. You know, there's a, there's a certain alignment, and again, I think it comes back to those core values. And I think people want to be able to come out here and try to make work-life balance a thing for everybody. You know, I've always believed, I actually kind of like work-life spectrum more than work-life balance, because, you know, I know I can speak for me personally, but my balance isn't the same as a lot of people. You know, I, I kind of buy into the hustle culture thing in a lot of ways where, you know, I feel good when I go and I, I book the long days because I feel like I've made progress for that, you know, and I don't, Think that makes me any better or any worse than somebody who wants to be able to have boundaries around their time wants to be able to spend time with their family and so we're looking for ways to be able to tie to outputs you know we're getting away from the idea of trying to we, we still have to track hours you know we're professional services that is the metric that we have control over in terms of how our allocated hours excuse me how hours are allocated and how they are are implemented but we're trying to move towards outputs so that we can say, did this person complete what we needed them to? You know, if you got it done in half the time as somebody else, but it's the quality that we needed to, then that's great, <laughs> right? Like, I, I think that's that's the way- Don't that change should. your rates, charge them for it. <laughs> you know, I have, I have a buddy of mine who's, who's a mechanic and he talks about this idea where like, because it might take the other guy six hours to change an engine, I can do it in two and a half. Like, you better believe I'm not charging him 40% of the, the fee of the guy who takes six hours, right? I'm charging the full rate and I'm gonna do two of them in that Heck same yeah. period of time. You know, and so we're trying to move towards that. We're making a lot of changes to it. Um, I mentioned I had my first hire, you know, was with us for about three years, got a really great in-house role, picked up some skills there. We actually brought Megan back about two years ago and now she runs operations for us. And so she's working on figuring out a lot of these process engineering things, the ways that we can work on our rates, the way that we can tie towards what we're calling productive hours, 
And so we actually ran the math to say, let's, let's kind of distribute out all of our PTO, all of our, our vacation days, and let's apply, we use an 80% billable margin, you know, in terms of if there's 40 hours in a week, 32 of them are eligible for billable work. You know, and so we're trying to rework that to a concrete number. You know, it's 126 hours a month for what we have now that we say, we need this amount of productive hours from everybody. If you're billable, those are billable hours. If you're non-billable, like a management role, we have to have some level of accountability as to what it means to have completed your job. Because that gets us out of this, this handcuffed hours. It lets us explore things like a four-day work week down the road. It lets us explore different ways to be able to, to retain people because the ground is shifting and it has been for a long time, even before COVID. We had a, a, when I acquired our dev team, they were fully remote. We had a flex Monday for our, like a work from home Monday <clears throat> for our folks that were local to our HQ. But this is how you retain people, in my opinion, is you have to give them what they want. They have a lot of control in terms of where they, where they bring their talents, you know, and, and I tell everybody that I don't expect you to work here forever. I'm not naive, but I wake up every day trying to make this a place you will stay forever. Like that's, that's my goal. That's our exec team's goal when we wake up every day is we have to be able to do everything we can to retain the very best people. Actually leads me into my next question, which is around your hiring process. You know, we've talked quite a bit about how you guys are making, and I think you alluded to that a minute ago, you're making a shift and how you're looking at hiring, how you're advertising roles, you know, as you shifted from all in the office, all out of the office, you know, can you walk us through a little bit about how you're how you're doing that. And I, you know, we've talked to a number of agency owners who have different perspectives on this as well. But um, I think you said a lot of things I actually want to go back to in a minute, but it, this is uh, your particular take on that. I actually was, I think I was talking about you guys yesterday to somebody else. I was like, check these out. You know, this is a really interesting, different way to be able to do this hiring process and, and the transparency that you're bringing to the table. Um, why don't you give us like a little bit of overview and, and talk a little bit about how you've made the decision to go this direction? Yeah, and I think a lot of our, our most recent recruitment changes, which were a big push this year, you know, because we haven't frankly been recruiting you know, as aggressively as we have through COVID and through those other pieces. Um, but one of the things that we really wanted to make an, an effort to, so for me personally, George Floyd's murder had a profound impact on me and, and the way I see the world and how I wanted to try to be an agent of change, even if only in my tiny corner of the business that I started. Um, and so really some of the big driving efforts for, for us have been a lot more diversity, equity, inclusion than it has been going remote. You know, I think going remote is something that we were always prepared for. We're a digital agency, so it's a pretty natural transfer of skills. Um, but we wanted to be able to bring more diversity of thought into our organization. And I went to Villanova for college. <clears throat> it's a Catholic school outside of Philly. <clears throat> not, you know, it's, it's gotten a whole lot better, but not necessarily the most diverse organization. And when people come up in, you know, these types of networks, when I would tap into my network, it would be a lot of people who were very similar to me, who had similar upbringings, similar kind of life circumstances, and it didn't allow us to really be able to capture a diversity of thought. And so, you know, I wanted to be able to go and look there and say, how do we give opportunities for, for people that wouldn't necessarily have had them in the past? 
um, you know, looking at things that uh, where people might have different circumstances that would allow them to take an unpaid internship that looks good on a resume or pay somebody to write their cover letter or coach them through it. Whereas the single parent who has to work the jobs that are available to put food on the table doesn't inherently have less marketable skills in my mind, you know, or at least, you know, given the opportunity to go and pursue those. And so we spent a lot of time really doing this after, you know, after we made this commitment to it, DEI has been our strategic plan for two years. Um, but this is the first year I feel like we've really started to make some tangible improvements to it. <clears throat> and so one of the first things that we did is we decided we are no longer going to accept resumes or cover letters. So we don't, there's no upload in our application process. We don't want to see your resumes. Now, we rewrote our entire application process for all the roles that we were hiring for to ask the questions that we need to we need to know to evaluate if you can do the job. And so instead of seeing your resume and the president of X, Y, and Z club that has nothing to do with your ability to sell websites or run successive, successful SEO campaigns, you know, we have an open-ended application process that somebody submits their answers to, you know, I think we only have like four or five questions, open-ended questions. Why do you want to work at Knucklepuck? What skills do you have that are relevant to this role? Some role-specific ones. And then we ask which of our core values resonates most? And then how will you contribute to our diversity of thought? And so the idea here is, again, there are, there's a certain privilege that comes from being able to have a well-crafted resume. You know, there's a lot of large organizations in particular that resumes are scanned by an algorithm. And if you don't have the right keywords on there, you don't get a human face to ever look at it. Um, and so we wanted to kind of change that. Some of the other things that we did, we are no longer, we took um, college degrees are no longer referenced in any of our job descriptions. We do still have some work to do on this, you know, in terms of taking college, you know, alma maters off of our bio pages. You know, I think it's one thing to say we don't require a college degree. It's another to look at the majority of the people on the team stating a college degree in their bio. Um, but we really wanted to be able to, to look at our roles as a digital company and say, does a college degree help here? You know, I'm I, I'm maybe more on the further end of the spectrum that, you know, I'm not sure it helps for most roles or is required for most roles, but can we at least give people the opportunity to apply for these knowing that their lack of a college degree is not going to be something that will hold them back. Uh, we published salary transparency for the first time in this latest wave, latest wave, excuse me, of job postings and that's actually a lot harder than it sounds, right? It seems super easy. You know, you behind the scenes, you know what you want to pay for this job, but it's another thing entirely to be willing to put it out there publicly. Um, and I can speak to some of those things because there were, you know, it's it it was one where I kind of held my breath a little bit and said, I'm doing this for the right reasons, but there are risks to it. You know, the one thing that we knew that we had to do up front, and it was good because it helped us push in this position. But when you go to market for a position, your current staff, the very first thing they're going to do is look at that position. And so we had to make sure that we understood what we were going to be doing from a salary and a compensation perspective for our current team. Um, one of the six pillars of our strategic plan, you know, talks about our, our people. Um, and the soundbite this year was that it's retention, then recruitment. And so to be able to publish these things publicly, we needed to know that, yes, we had we are properly compensating the people who have already shown their commitment, demonstrated their value to our organization, 
um, before we can go out there and try to, to hire for this. Um, we had one example where we were going out for another position. We had somebody that we really liked, but she was slightly higher than the person we were paying an equivalent role for currently. Uh, she ended up not accepting the role. She wanted to stay in a different part of the business, but that helped us understand if we're going to go to the market at this price point, like if this is what it's going to take, then we have to make other adjustments internally. And so, you know, these are some of the things that we really tried to do. The other piece that, you know, I think a lot of business owners are really worried about is this does give your competitors a sense of what you pay your staff. You know, I think that's, that is a lot of information that people are very guarded on. And I think it's really interesting because a lot of business owners either don't believe that people talk about salary or just are like, I'm just not going to acknowledge it. Um, but in my experience, almost everybody talks about salary amongst their peers. And so this information is already kind of being talked about. There's already things that, that are being discussed. You know, so for us to be able to try to be out there and say, hey, we're just going to say this is what it is. We're going to try to be upfront with it. We told our HR folks, like, I'm not looking to negotiate on some of these, you know, confirm in the phone screen, confirm your understanding of comp, because I don't want to get to the end of this, have us both really like each other. And you say you need 15% more because I can't pay you 15% more. You know, I, I need to find somebody who can do it at this price point for me to be able to invest properly in the growth of my business. And so that was a big one. That was one of the things that, you know, you know, things are, you know, it's what people are asking for. It's what people are looking for, but it's, it's hard to kind of have that vulnerability to it. Um, but what I can say for anybody who is considering this or has done it in the past, I have a few folks that, that I really respect that have done this and they helped me feel comfortable with it. And not because they spoke to me personally, but they went out there publicly and saying, I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. Or I'm doing this so that people know what you're getting into when you come to, to apply for a job at my company. Um, and that was inspiring for me. That helped me be able to go and say, you know, even though we may bear some risk here, I think this is the right thing to do. I think this is going to help us retain and recruit in, in equal measure. Wow, oh, some really great points. And Huge, I think, I, I really like the way uh, you structure your hiring process. I never thought of that way, having uh, qualifying questions. Well, not qualifying, but at least forget about the resume, but just understand the way the candidate is thinking and why they are joining, what does value to them. That is how you can connect with them and see if this is actually the right fit. And skills can be trained, like they can train, you can train somebody but these are some innate qualities of those people. Like if you are able to connect with them, if they are the right fit culturally. So that's uh, definitely something I want to think more and see um, if we can adopt some of those ideas uh, because I totally can see the value in doing that. Um, I used to tell people early on, I can teach you SEO. I can't teach you to give a shit. And so there's certain things that you know, we have, we have one, of our, one of our strongest SEOs. I love telling this, this kind of story for it. But one of our strongest SEOs was working at Jimmy John's before he came here. And now he's an integral part of the team. He has some of our most complex projects because he put the work in. He came up through our junior program. He put the work in. You know, he took the tools that we gave him, but he mastered them. He did the work on his own. He built his own website so that he could figure out what it's like to configure analytics. You know, yeah. That's the kind of thing that makes you successful in my mind. Those are the skills that I will hire for over technical skills any day of the week. Well, it fits well, into that 
college degree, sorry, everyone, I'm cutting you off. The college degree one is particularly interesting to me because it's something there's many, many people that I, who are smarter than I am that, that have different types of degrees versus, you know, what I chose to engage in, in my own history there. I mean, not for nothing. I have a BS in studio art, you know, and it's a funny thing when I'm in meetings and I tell people that and they're like, like what kind of art, like ceramics, sculpture, photography, like, you know, that's not what I do for work, but it's, it's an interesting path that you choose to take because a lot of it, whether it's, you know, I was lucky enough to choose the path that I took versus other people who chose a different path. And I just, I love that one in particular, you know, but I I would say the, you you know, looking at your own digital profiles there, it is part of who you are. I don't think there's any reason to hide if you've chosen to go to a school or not go to a school. So that would be the only thing it's, you know, it's a level of conversation and connection in some ways too, that I feel like that if it isn't promoted in one way, you know, it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a cultural kind of networking thing in some ways. I'll just that's uh, my yeah. own two cents on that one. So I, I don't know if you guys have noticed and, and experienced it, but many of the agency owners, especially in the digital space, they come from so many very varied backgrounds. Like I, I know a friend who went to medical school and he started an agency. Can you believe that? I mean, <laughs> studying for a doctor and then you realize, you know, doctoring is not my thing. I want to run a <laughs> digital marketing company. And it, it's so weird to see, and, and, and I, 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 can, I can understand why, because everything is so digital right now. I mean, if you think about it, it's not a rocket science. You just need some common sense. And yes, with skills over time, that helps you grow and mature and know how the market works, how these things work, how business works. And then, sure, you, you can set up a company. And then from there on, you know, sky is the limit well it's Um, easier today too than it was historically as well you know if you think about 10 years ago because of i mean this sounds so cheesy but like the rise of the internet makes some of this stuff easier information is more attainable you know if you even think about it'll be interesting to see what choices people make five ten years from now in terms of do i need to go to college can i learn what i need to learn to be able to achieve life goals in various other formats you know it's a you go to college right away. You know, when I went to grad school, I took a break for a number of years in between undergrad and grad school, because I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grow up. I'm still working on that, but it's the idea of some of these kids who go straight from school into college, or even just, you know, don't need the advanced degrees. And there's a whole slew of other factors that fall into that. Um, I mean, I could talk about this forever. It's not to discount that path, right? And so it's like to say, like somebody who isn't, it's not going to be like, oh, you went to college, like we're over that, right? Like it's not to discount that path at all. I mean, I've got two kids, we're doing the 529 savings account, but I'd love it if they go to trade school, you know, like if it's, if that's where they're going to be successful for it. But, you know, we're trying to make sure that that the people have have the opportunities, right? And and I got to tell you that since in the applications, we have like, three roles that are open now we've probably got in the first week or so probably got 50 60 you know resumes or applications not resumes applications that have come through and nobody has felt that it was relevant to say anything about their college degree for you know, some of our, our junior roles let's come up a little bit but nobody has gone in and said my college degree helped me be a better developer you know my college degree helped me be a better marketer helped me be a better salesperson 
And so when we get down to it, we ask people, what skills do you have that make you good at this role? Why should we hire you for this role? When we're letting people tell us in their own words, it's been really, it's been really eye-opening, right? We, we actually are, are taking a lot of time to document where people are in different stages, what type of, of different folks that we're getting that we weren't getting from our previous process, because I, I you know, I'm very encouraged by this. You know, I'd like to be able to go out there and, and post about it and speak publicly about some of these changes because I, you know, we had a hypothesis and, and you know, initial data is starting to show that that hypothesis has merit. Well, it goes back to even the interview process. You know, I think uh, college aside or any sort of, you know, the questions you ask when you have a conversation with somebody, you're not evaluating their skills. You can't tell if they know how to keyword something or use SEO technology or whatever may go into that. You're understanding if you two can communicate, if they have the level of understanding and are thoughtful in terms of their approach and how they answer you. One of my, my favorite interview questions, and I'll actually both ask both of you just for fun, what your favorite interview question would be is what do you want to be when you grow up? I absolutely ask that in interviews. And I say, give me two answers because people get freaked out. They're like, Oh, I don't know what to say. And I say, give me a real life answer. You know, it's usually some sort of growth in a marketing or design or something role. There's a traditional answer there. And then I said, give me the pie in the sky one. That's the one I want to hear because it helps me understand who you are as a person and how you want to grow and how you see yourself a little bit too. And is that going to fit in the culture that I've built with a, a team to be able to work with you and how, how we want to grow this business. So I've had some really, really fun answers between eighties hair metal band, you know, front man to astronauts, to spies, to all kinds of other stuff. So it's a, it's a fun. So let me ask both of you, what would be, what's your, what's, what's your favorite interview question, Brett, when you're chatting with folks outside of the application process? How's yeah. That? So I actually have, have one that I ask at the end of all of my interviews. And so we go through, I ask the standard questions, role specific, whatever the person has their questions. We go back and forth for a while. And when they're basically like, all right, anything else? Okay, well, I've, I've got one more question for you. You know, it's already kind of always just like, you know, they're waiting for it. So I also have done it, like I've done it for years because so, I really like this question. But I start off by talking about the idea that I, I genuinely believe that an interview is a two-way street. You know, we are interviewing you for this job, but you are interviewing us to see if we're an environment that you can commit to, an environment that you feel that you can be successful at. So I ask people to imagine that we're on opposite sides of the table and they own Knuckle Puck. And I'm coming in and interviewing for a job at their company. And so I ask them to ask me the one question you have that would evaluate if I am the right fit for you. That's a good one. What kind of stuff have people asked you? You know, it's just, I like this question a lot because it's one of the ones, one of the only ones I think that consistently people actually take a minute to think about it. And I think in a lot of interviews, like silence is so uncomfortable for people. Nobody wants to stop talking. You know, and I talk about it in, in when I do presentations or conference presentations. Like if you think you're losing the room, like stop talking for like five seconds. Yeah. And everybody looks he up from it. their he phone, right? <laughs> right? Like everybody, it's somebody yeah. built, everybody looks up from their phone. Every time. But I like this because people really do seem to, to take a second to think about it. I mean, and it, it flips the script a little bit. It, it tries to show the idea that like, look, like you do have to choose to be here. You are choosing to commit yourself here. Uh, 
So I, I, I can't really, it's, it's been a while since I have personally hired anybody. I actually, it's, it's pretty important to me that the people who have to manage the staff are the ones that hire them. Um, we actually had a role that came available and I had somebody that I've mentored for many years um, that interviewed for it. And I even told more of her as my marketing team, like, I'm not even going to read her application because she's not going to work for me, <laughs> right? Like, I, I like her a lot. I think that she's very, very skilled, but I really try to let my staff and the people who have to manage them need to be the ones that genuinely feel and have autonomy over, over their hiring. And so I, I can't really remember because I haven't personally hired, you know, been personally that, that deep into it, but we're hiring a sales role now. We're trying to build out a sales function for the first time. So, you know, maybe I'll get back to you, you know, in a couple of weeks once we get some folks into that stage. There you go. That's a great question. Varun, what do you got? Yeah, so for me, I think, you know, whenever I speak to the candidates, I always tell them, um, you know, I want our company to be a platform or conduit for your success, right? So that's the message I want to give them. So I ask them, like, what kind of environment, what would make it true for you? Like, how can we make it, how can we give you the environment or what environment you look for uh, where you will succeed? So that can help me understand if they are the right fit for us. Sometimes they would say, you know, I want uh, autonomy. I want, I don't want people to tell me what to do. I know, I, I, I like to do more collaboration. I like to talk to people every day or that kind of interaction. Um, I am, you know, uh, I'm an individual contributor. So all of those answers help me judge and understand like if he would be good fit for this specific role that we are looking for to work with this specific team. So, because at the end of the day, that's all we care about that, you know, they succeed in, at least I care about that they succeed in the job that they're signing up for. And we give them that platform and that, um, you know, um, that, 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 that environment. So I think that, that that's my go-to question every time. I like that because it, it also gives you a sense of whether or not somebody has really thought about what they want. You know, yeah. do they, do they just want a job because I got bills to pay, you know, which is not an invalid reason to want a job, but you know, then there might be the person that really does want to work for you. You know, they, they can yeah. show you. And that's, that's some of the stuff again, that, that I look for. I like those questions that get a sense of how much somebody has really consciously thought about what they're getting out of this, yeah. you know, other than the salary, right? Yeah. Like, what are you getting out of this experience? What are you getting out of this commitment other than this dollar amount that you're eligible yeah. for? Well, I have to tell you in this environment though, because everybody is hiring and we are hiring, you are hiring, it's hard to find people. It's difficult to turn down the people. If, even if they say, yes, I'm here for salary, I think they, we have hired people, even though if they have not given us some of the best answers that I want to hear, just because we need them so badly right now. So, yeah. you know, I mean, that's the are... assessment, right? That's that's how the you know the supply and demand curve changes. You know, yeah. I think that's one of those pieces that you know I, I think it's I get it. You know, we try to really adhere to it a little bit more, at least for now, because yeah. you know it is easy to do that. We've talked about even with our new recruitment process, like oh, we really like this person. Should we bypass the assessment? No, we have to do it, right? Should we bypass the phone screens? Like, no, because then that's the same, you know, it's yeah. all who you know, backdoor piece that, that we're trying to, to get away from, but it's hard. 
it's, it's hard. really, really hard to do that because the business has a lot of risk when you're yeah. looking at those. It's hard to hire the wrong person. You know, it's a lot of costs associated with hiring the wrong person. You know, there's impacts on your business and your reputation if that person doesn't work out. You know, there's yeah. impact on the rest of the team if this person doesn't mesh successfully. So I've done the same, right? We've yeah. been in a position where it's like, I just, I need a, I need a body, you know, for some of those. And yeah. sometimes it helps in the short term, but a lot of times we're having to go and make further adjustments to that down the road. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that is the balance. You, you talked about success a little while ago. I want to hear from you. What is your understanding of success or what is a success to you for your agency mean? Like, what does that mean to you to have your agency succeed? Like, no, I'm going to go, go back to the first half because I actually like the first way you phrased it better because the <laughs> success for the way the business succeeds, I mean, that's a KPI, right? Like we've got, we've got a sales goal. We've got profitability targets. One of the things we put out in our strategic plan this year, I put it out publicly that I want everybody at Knuckle Puck to make at least 10% more than you expect to at the beginning of the year. So we have business KPIs, but um, one of my mentors who I mentioned earlier had a phrase that I, I loved because he's a very successful person by most objective metrics. You know, he said like, you know, when you come up to me and tell me you're so like happy, you're so proud of my success, you're judging me on your measure of success and not on my measure of success. Um, and that really stuck with me because, you know, I can look at Knuckle Puck. We're going to be eight years old. We've got some of the accolades for it. We kept our team together through COVID. You know, we do a lot of great things to be able to, you know, that I'm proud of and that we can look at and say, yes, this has been a successful business. But I don't feel successful a lot of the time, right? The, the last two years in particular, you know, I don't think keeping a business alive is something that I... I'm super proud of myself for, right? Like I'm, I'm glad to have done it. Obviously we protected all the jobs and the livelihood of the people that were here, but a big part of that was PPP. You know, that it wasn't me being a good business owner. It wasn't a lot of those decisions. We put ourselves in these positions to be successful, but we got the support that I hope every business eligible for took. I would take it again, 11 times out of 10, but when I think about it, I think about success, like I want to be able to go out there and promote what I call a lifestyle business. And it's kind of an intangible metric, an intangible mindset for it, similar to that idea of the work-life spectrum. Now, I want to be able to support my lifestyle and the lifestyle of the people that work with me and the clients that work with us. One of my favorite stories was years and years ago, I had started Knuckle Puck around the same time that um, this guy started his law firm. We've actually become really, really good friends you know, over the years. But we worked together for about I think, four or five months and he called me up and he said, Brett, because of the website, I was able to hire two new attorneys. And I knew what that meant for him and his family and his vision for his business, right? We've had product clients that have gone through massive acquisitions and I know what that does for the people in that business and what impact it can have on their lifestyle and the fact that our contributions to driving organic growth on the SEO side, shipping a, a website that allows you to engage with your membership at a level you've never been able to before. You know, that's success to me. You know, being able to go out there and try to enable lifestyle, to try to impact positive change. We talk about some of our DEI efforts. Like I would rather take longer and probably suffer some you know, business metrics to be able to bring in some more diversity into the company because it's important to our team and it's important to me. And we may have to take a little bit longer to find it. 
We may have to look a little bit harder and try harder than we would have to be able to get somebody coming out of my alma mater who I'm very involved with. You know, it might take a little bit more effort for that, but I'll take that success over another 50 grand in the top line, you know, at the end of the year, some of these things that, you know, don't necessarily reflect what success means for, for me. And so that's why I like going back to the first question. It's, I think it's less about the business success and what does success mean to you individually? And that will change for a lot of people. A lot of people will look at where imposter syndrome, I think is very much born out of this idea because you could be successful. Somebody else could look at you as the most successful person they know. And you could look at yourself as the guy taking towels to the laundry at the end of practice because of the company that, that you look up to and the people that you aspire to. And so I, I've always liked that idea that success is a very individualized metric. It's a very, it's defined very differently for an individual. Um, and I think I'm, I'm no exception to that. So I'm going to shift gears for a minute because we talked about it at the very beginning of the intro and I've been dying to ask the whole time, what is Brett Gammon? <laughs> so Brett Gammon started actually as a party game that I made up with my friends after college. Um, and if you've ever played Mario Party, video game Mario Party, it's just a collection of little mini games. There's some are puzzles, some are trivia, some are like, you know, physical challenges, jumping over blocks. And so I basically created a live action version of that. And so I've been doing it since I think 2012, you know, it's the first time that I ran this and it became a knuckle puck tradition. The first year that we had employees, the first time that I had actually hired people, we got around to friends giving and I said, look, let's blow off some steam. Let's do something that is a little bit unusual that most people don't do. And so we played Brett Gammon for the afternoon. And again, we had identify corporate logos. We had ID music, movie clips. Um, you know, there were various things based on um, game shows. We've done the newlywed game. We've done family feud. I've done, when we had our office, we had a bunch of physical challenges. And so if you have the, if you ever watch Family Double Dare, an old Nickelodeon show, they had a lot of those. Um, one of the, the traditional favorites is called Cone of Shame. So I bought about 200 ping pong balls and two cones of shame that a dog will wear after the vet. And one person stands 10 feet across the room wearing the cone. The rest of the team tries to throw as many ping pong balls as they can in 60 seconds. Um, we've done draw a line down the office, whack as many beach balls to one side or the other. Um, I've done blackjack and, and different poker things in there. But it's really just a bunch of little mini games that you know, I think are just not what most people do in the middle of their day. You know, it started as a game with my friends, but we wanted, I, I, again, I, I think authenticity plays. I think the things that people enjoy as individuals are probably still things they'd enjoy in a workplace. You know, I listen to a lot of electronic music and I had one of my partners at one point tell me that I, I shouldn't admit to that because, and, and, and I quote, because, people like me know what goes on at EDM festivals. And I was like, you know, all due respect, man, but like I put that as my out of office and the like CMO of a bank called me and said that was pretty cool and brought it up in, you know, when they came to hire us. So, you know, I think it plays. And, and I think being able to go out there and doing the things that let people realize that we're all a little bit goofy, 
you know, deep down, you know, I think getting a chance to, to kind of let loose a little bit, be able to joke around and do something that most people aren't going to do. Most of your friends aren't going to do these, uh, these events. And that to me makes good team building. That to me is something that throughout the year when we would do it, anybody knew we kind of talk about Brett Gammon throughout the course of the year. And then they hear about it and it gets this myth and legend kind of gets built up. And then we all come together and, you know, have some fun games that come through. Um, and so it's just been a fun way for us to try to have a, a unique part of our culture. You know, something that we look forward to every year, even when we're fully remote, we did it before our office went away and, and we're going to find ways to do it on our annual company retreat because it's just, they're, they're little team building events. They have nothing to do with your day to day, but it did get people who work in different parts of the business to spend time together. It did get people to have to actually understand like people get competitive. Like I had to buy like a $300 buzz in machine because people would yell at me if I, you know, oh, I thought I heard you first. It's like, no, it was me. And so, you know, people kind of really can get into these things when they, they build the world around it. And so it's been a cool way for us to have something that appreciates the person behind the professional, you know, and lets us do some things that, you know, we would do with our friends. Not the answer I thought you were going to give. I'm not sure where that was going to go based off our conversation today, but I definitely appreciate it. It's uh, many years ago, I was the one who wrapped various decks in a, uh, in uh, the bubble paper. What is that? That bubble wrap? You know, I have filled uh, various people's desks full of balloons. I went out and bought one of those balloon blower upper thingies. And, you know, I, well, while I enjoy being at home, I do miss some of that stuff. So that was great. Well, this has been a, a great conversation. Lots of, lots of different insights and appreciate your time. So for folks listening where they can find Brett is uh, on the LinkedIn under, uh, under his personal account and also the company account. You have a Twitter for Knucklepuck DC, Instagram for Knucklepuck DC and your company website, knucklepuckmedia.com. So thank you so much. That's it, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, please tell someone about the podcast. Thanks and see you next time. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies that build.com. Plus we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.